Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, you're listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette Editor-in-Chief Dominic Ponsford. And this week, we're looking at Trends and predictions for 2023 from news media leaders. And joining me to discuss this, we have Press Gazette's data journalist, Aisha Majid. Hi, Aisha. Hi, Dom. Nice to be here. Brilliant subject for a podcast to start the year. And you've been speaking to Nick Newman, who's one of the boffins at the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. So just just ex- explain why we're, what the particular peg is for speaking to Nick. This week, the Reuters Institute, where Nick is a senior research associate, they've put out their annual report that they put out every year, looking at trends and predictions for the news industry for the year ahead. So every year they ask editors, CEOs, digital executives, leaders in the news industry, what they think is in store for the coming year. And this year, they actually interviewed more than 300 news leaders in 53 countries. I think it was 303, to be exact, and asked them about their thoughts for the year ahead. In a nutshell, I don't think it will come as a great surprise to people that this year, news leaders are feeling a bit gloomy, aren't they, compared to last year, which last year was actually a pretty strong year. I think, for many news companies commercially. But this year, people are feeling a bit less confident. Is that right? That's one of the main headlines? Yeah, that's correct. The thing that jumps out from this year's report is that while it's not all bad news, as you say, news leaders are definitely less optimistic than in 2022. And you definitely get the sense that reading this year's report and you know what the executives and so on have said that like sustainability of news media is a much bigger concern this year which is probably not a surprise given given the wider economic crisis and the high levels of inflation and the cost of living and so on around the world i mean last year three quarters of the news leaders they interviewed said they were confident about their comp- company prospects in 2022 and this year it's less than half which is a big change Okay. Look, it's great to have Nick on because I know he's also the lead author of the annual Reuters Digital Journalism Report, which is the kind of massive bit of research, is the sort of Bible of what's going on in news, digital news around the world every year. So it'd be great to hear what he thinks about it all. Yeah, how did you how did you kick off the interview? The first thing I, I asked Nick to sum up what he thinks is in store for publishers this year.
I think there are many different kinds of news publishers. So obviously some are much more confident than others. But generally, I think the word that came up most often was just uncertainty. It's an uncertainty all around. You don't know what's going to happen to energy prices or print prices or even down to just the way in which social networks, which used to be quite predictable in terms of providing traffic for your media companies, have become altogether less predictable, like Twitter, but also Facebook that's been pulling away from news. And I think all of these things together really are sort of adding up to a position where many publishers feel they can't plan. And obviously some are extremely concerned, particularly if they're very dependent on print or on non-digital sources. News avoidance, it's been a big topic for your research at the Reuters Institute, and it's a big topic in this report as well. How big a challenge do you think it is for the news industry this year in particular? Yeah, we had some really interesting comments, actually. Just in general, people talk about traffic being flat. Again, there's lots of different companies and some have seen traffic go up, but a lot of seen company traffic going down or flat. And then some people just have never seen anything like it. It's like, we didn't do anything different. There were some really big news stories this year, last year in terms of Ukraine or the aftermath of COVID or the cost of living crisis. And, and traffic's gone down and subscriptions have softened. And and so many of them are putting it down to this sense that people are just overwhelmed by news and turning away from it. I think it's two things. It's one is the really difficult agenda. And then the other thing is, you know, specific audiences, young audiences really picking up different behaviors. So it's not really what news avoid is not really one thing. It's partly disconnection. It's partly about the difficult news agenda itself. But yeah, people are really worried about it. In our survey, 72% of publishers said they were worried or very worried about news avoidance this year and thinking about different ways in which they might tackle it. But almost every conference I go to, it's, what can we do about news avoidance? And what are some of those things that are coming up in terms of what publishers can do to stop audiences turning away? Yeah, I think it's interesting that I think the news industry has done a lot, actually. If you think back to pre-COVID, COVID was a bit of a watershed in terms of explanatory journalism, I think. And now everyone's just really embraced it. So explanatory formats, whether that's video or text or Q&A formats. And in our survey, both of those came up really high. I think journalists understand that part of their job is to explain the news as well as tell people what happened. I think there's much more there's much more ambivalence about things like solutions journalism, constructive journalism, positive journalism, which are sort of banded around as ways in which we might do it. And I think the thinking behind it is, can we give people a sense of agency? So let's not just point out the problems. And it's often seen as a binary debate of you, you either you investigate things deeply or you do positive journalism, where it's really about the mix. And I think part of what's gone wrong with digital is that many people don't see the mix because the algorithm just gives people negative stuff or people just feel overwhelmed by one negative story after another and they don't see the other stuff. So yeah, it's a complicated issue and I think there's no silver bullet, but those are some of the things people are talking about this year. In terms of another thing the report talks about is, as you mentioned, platforms and their changing attitudes to news. I mentioned with someone like Facebook turning away uncertainty on Twitter. And it seems like a lot of the people surveyed for the report see TikTok as a platform where they're going to be stepping up their efforts this year. And what's your take on how useful is it for publishers to be on TikTok? Yeah, it's a great question. <clears throat> and I think publishers are, again, are very ambivalent about TikTok. We did a report in December, which showed that half were on TikTok and half weren't on TikTok. And many of the ones who weren't on TikTok weren't planning to go on TikTok because they were worried about, well, A, the fact there's no revenue. So it's you're basically 
creating content and getting nothing back, but also just the fears of China, which I think is going to be a big story this year. And we've already seen more legislators basically banning TikTok on phones. And I think that trend is going to go increase. You can see more journalists, investigative journalists, not putting it on, on, on phones because of concerns about data security. And yes, we could see more direct action against TikTok in countries like the US and certainly talk of that. So I think that's one of the concerns about it. But if you just look at it from the audience point of view, obviously it's growing very fast. It's where young people are. And that's why we see uh, publishers in our survey saying they're going to put a lot more effort into it this year. I think it's not just about TikTok. We, we had a session with some publishers yesterday and they were talking about the importance of vertical video. And they recognized that even if it's not TikTok, that's going to be important on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube shorts. And this sort of trend, I think, which all the platforms are pushing, more creative video, short form video that explains things, that entertains people, I, I think is clearly going to continue to grow this year. That piece about revenue is interesting and obviously crucial to publishers. I mean, do you think eventually publishers will be able to make money on, on a platform like TikTok? They're expecting to. I think this year we expect some kind of advertising a little bit like YouTube and others have provided. So maybe not before each of these short videos, but elsewhere in the experience and the highly trafficked uh, TikTok accounts will get a share of that revenue. So I think we'll see some of that. And then publishers already using branded content on TikTok as well. So those are two potential ways of doing it. And another business model that a number are considering, particularly some of the sort of early movers on TikTok is selling their understanding of young people to other brands, either commercial brands or other news organizations. So I think there are some potential ways, but I don't think it's going to shift the dial. The amount of advertising money is probably not going to deliver significant revenue. I think it's primarily about getting to the younger audience and will be this year. Well, on revenue, in, in the report, I think it was 80% of the news leaders that you asked, they said that subscriptions were among the biggest revenue priorities for this year. Do you think subscriptions are going to be a bright spot? this year, or are you worried about the trajectory there? I was surprised in the survey. I think I think it was almost 70% said that they thought that subscriptions, their subscriptions was, were going to go up this year. And we've already seen subscriptions slowing down considerably. And for some publishers we've talked to, the static or going down with very high rates of churn. So I, I'm personally a bit more pessimistic about subscriptions, but o overall, it's clearly a much more reliable revenue source, bringing in recurring income, not starting every year at zero. It's, it's unbelievably important for many publishers now who've been down that route for some years. It's not surprising both existing companies with subscription are trying to retain those subscribers, but those who are more recently engaged with subscription are trying to find ways to grow. And I think growth is going to be much harder than retention. And I think one of the things we're going to see this year is really that pressure on the price points. We've already seen it very heavy discounting. So many publishers looking for Basically, it's the same people who are paying for news and the discounts, the people phoning up customer call centers and asking for a better deal. I think we can see a lot of that this year. Did any, did any of the, the news leaders that you surveyed for the report, did they expand on why they were rather optimistic about subscriptions? I, I think senior news leaders are paid to be optimistic. But also some of the ones that were optimistic are, have made amazing progress over the last few years. So actually one of the things they've seen is that when the news is really difficult during COVID, for example, we saw that COVID bounce in subscriptions and they feel that actually news is more important or reliable, trusted, high quality news is going to be more important than ever. So I think at that end, at the top end, that's one reason. I think the other reason is some really interesting different strategies, particularly those who've been working on this for a while, particularly the bundling side of things. So obviously 
We've talked a lot about New York Times' bundling strategy where they've acquired smart acquisitions that sort of fill some of those gaps. So you've got games, you've got cooking, you've got passions like sport bundled in now to an all-access package. And that means those people are much less likely to churn. And Shipstead are doing exactly the same thing in Scandinavian countries. The difference is they have so many more publications, so they're bundling local and national magazines and paid podcasts, which is, they bought a big podcast provider a couple of years ago. And that's really coming through now in terms of bundled all-access subscriptions. So I think in small countries, that bundle is really starting to happen now where you've got a small number of publishers operating. Hi, I'm Anoush and I host the New Statesman podcast. Twice a week, we get under the skin of Westminster to help understand what's going on and what's going to happen next. We interview politicians, policymakers and people on the front line to get you the full story behind the headlines. Plus, hear from our award-winning editorial team, including political editor Andrew Marr, to get to the bottom of what on earth is happening. Listen to the New Statesman podcast. You can subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. In terms of sort of other things that news leaders can do or newsrooms can do to avoid some of the biggest challenges that I guess they themselves have identified in the report for this for this year. What are the sort of key things that you think publishers should be or could be doing? I suppose the key challenge, if you take news avoidance and problem of attention, it's essentially about how you build loyalty and how you build value. And so I've just talked about bundling as one way of delivering value. But I think people are obviously focusing on those channels which really bring out the human side of journalism, I think. So I think both podcasts and email newsletters, which are often hosted by real people, and they have connections with often smaller audiences, but much deeper connections. That's now an absolutely critical part of everybody's strategy. It used to be just about the website and the app. And now it's about the website, the app, the the newsletters and the podcasts. And it's really that sort of combination and bringing out the personalities behind your news brand and providing more regularity of contact and more time. So I would say that's pretty universal now, particularly from publishers from a print background as opposed to broadcast. I think for broadcasters, it's it's a different challenge. They're trying to reach large numbers of people and they've seen particularly those younger audiences disappear. So the real focus for them is how do you broaden that agenda and attract young people? And and that is a really thorny challenge for young people. But that's where Sky News, for example, is having quite a lot of success on TikTok. So it's taking your content to other platforms with that monetization problem, of course. Talk about um, podcasts and newsletters which came up in, in the report quite a bit. What are the other sort of like key innovation or formats do you think that news leaders will be investing in this year? There, there aren't many, really. I think the other one we talked about a bit already is digital video. So what we've seen is that in increase over the last year in terms of people's sense of importance. I think it's really challenging for a lot of print publishers because they they feel comfortable with audio. It's, it's, it's easy, it's cheap, and it fits with workflows, existing workflows. Video is really quite a different set of skills, and so they've always really struggled with it. And what we found in the TikTok report is that quite often they're buying in additional people, young creators who really got some of those digital video skills. 
So I think there's this kind of recognition that this is going to be really critical going forwards, but many of them are really just tinkering at the edges, but they're definitely planning to put more effort into digital video this year. And then other things like, I'm sure we'll come on to, to AI, but things like voice. I actually personally think voice is going to be really important over time, but not necessarily this year. And the metaverse, th these are really areas where publishers are just not really focusing right now because the main emphasis is getting through this year economically, but also in, in, in terms of focusing on loyalty. How important do you think AI will be this year? I think AI is going to be both iterative and just helping people be more efficient. And uh, that's already happening with things like transcription and auto translation and all these tools now just coming to the newsroom. But I think it's also people have realized that it's also going to be an enormous disruption in ways we simply don't understand. But, and the reason they realize that is because of chat GPT and mid journey and some of these other tools, Tally that came out, have come out in the last couple of years, these models, these models, machine learning, artificial intelligence, national language processing that, that enable you not just to do things more efficiently, but actually to create something new, that the AI is starting to create something new, images, for example, to illustrate text, AI art and moving imagery that illustrates videos, for example, for Semaphore, who've started to team up AI and artists to illustrate pictures where they don't have um, where they don't have footage from Ukraine, for example. And I think it's that creative side. And then, of course, I mean, it's going to change the roles in journalism. Things like sub-editors, ChatGPT can, can sub-edit, copy much more efficiently and spot typos and you can put style guides. I mean, you can just do all kinds of things that traditionally journalists have done. And so people are talking about, well, the role of the sub-editor in the future is really going to be programming different AI interfaces and prompts and doing a little bit of oversight will be completely different. And we won't need so many of them, but the skills will be completely different. You're going to be like an AI taskmaster, I think, rather than a traditional sub-editor. And that's, this is happening now. And is all the disruption going to be positive or? No, some of it will be very negative. Obviously, the same technologies are also being produced to create deep fakes, deep porn, all of this stuff. And we're going to see a lot more of that. But I think with all big disruptive change, you have opportunities as well. If you think about, if you think about the last 10 years, which have been the publishers have really struggled because you've got these big platforms that take a lot of the advertising revenue and sitting in the middle, this is going to be hugely disruptive to those platforms, whether it'll be better or worse for publishers, we don't yet know, but Google, for example, is being, putting the text into a search box is probably not going to be the only way in which you ask for things in the future. You're going to ask with your voice, you're going to talk to AI bots and they will serve you back really interesting responses. Is Google going to be the number one there? This is potentially very disruptive for all those platforms as well. So uh, one of the themes that came up in the report is climate change. How much publishers going to be focusing on that this year? I think they're really thinking about changing the way climate change is covered in, in, in newsrooms. There's obviously been a lot of criticism that it is very fragmentary. It's often a lot of coverage when there's a big climate summit and not much in between. And I think just from a, a recognition that this is really the story of our times and that it doesn't necessarily fit in with the, the normal news cycles, it needs something different. So what we found is that half of publishers have set up in the last year, have set up climate desks. A third of them now have climate strategies that involve training uh, some or all of their staff to really understand the dimensions in which they, the way in which they think about climate, you know, in business or all kinds of other areas, and also setting their own sustainability and goals for carbon footprints and stuff. So I think holistically, you've seen sub publishers like 
the Washington Post, the triple size of the climate team, really focus on green consumerism as well, advice about how to live a more sustainable life. And I think that will really carry through into journalism, which hopefully really engages people, but also gives people that sense of agency. And I think that's what's been missing quite often from climate change coverage. In terms of what, what publishers are already doing to avoid some of the, or to try and avoid some of the sort of bigger themes that you talked about in the report, like the uncertainty and things like that. Are there any publishers you would uh, single out that seem to be heading in the right direction or that you are more optimistic about? It's hard to speak of specific publishers, but I think publishers, there are some publishers who are just trying to be one step ahead, but it's not just thinking about the future and understanding AI is going to be important. It's also understanding how much you should invest at a particular point in time. So it's a kind of delicate balance because you have to move at the right pace, particularly, I think, in terms of trying to create content that works for younger people and older people. I think that's, you can't, AI offers lots of opportunities, for example, to try and help with that problem of relevance, to provide maybe different formats or different language versions for people who are really interested in news or who understand the sort of the jargon and different ones for young people without having to create a different brand. But yeah, I think it's just in general, those publishers who are well down that digital path, who've been really thinking about these issues for a long time, obviously in a much better position. Those that have primarily digital incomes already, rather than being reliant on print, where print costs have doubled and print's going to be really difficult this year. And therefore, those companies are going to have money to invest in in some of these new innovations and, and to invest in their staff, which is obviously critical as well going forwards. This report obviously looks at 2023 and news leaders' predictions for this year, but looking longer term for the industry, do you think a lot of these, a lot of what came up in the report has a longer term salient? Yeah, I've been doing this for 13 years and, and you have some things that are just clear, the mobile and social revolution and how it, and it goes up and down and some years it's up and some years it's down, but fundamentally it's a shift. It's a really disruptive shift and we can see the same with automation and artificial intelligence. So I think really understanding what that's going to mean in terms of workflows and I think in that AI can do all of those things, what should journalism be? And I think just having that long-term perspective is really important. To me, it just says you need to be more distinctive. You need to be more human. You need to focus more on the relationships. So those kind of insights, I think, and then you can build that into your whole model over time, your business model, the way you position your marketing, et cetera. And to me, that's a given which particular AI tool people are using this year as opposed to next year. Obviously, that will shift. And there will definitely be disillusion. The, there, there will be that trough of disappointment with AI after the incredible hype we've had this year. But the long-term trend is that this is going to be the big disruptor over the next 10 years. Thanks, Matt, Aisha. Great to hear from Nick, as always. Really useful bit of research, that, and really interesting to hear his insights into it. So we've been doing our own research on this topic as well. And just before Christmas, we asked 18 media leaders for the biggest challenge they were facing this year and how they plan to tackle it. Just looking at that and Nick's chat and, the, and his research, what do you think are the big themes that are emerging for the year ahead in terms of what kind of news leaders need to focus on? I think there is a lot of overlap between what news leaders told us and what they've told the Reuters Institute as well. And one of the themes that comes up strongly in both is this idea of, of news avoidance, people turning away from the news. I think it was interesting in the article that, that 
we had on Press Gazette at the end of last year that David Higgison, the Reach's chief of digital, he said it's a bigger issue than the recession and dealing with the tech giants in his opinion. So it's clearly something that's worrying the industry a lot. What do we do about it? What do you think are the key the key sort of ways to address it? I think one of the things that comes across in, in, in this report from Reuters, but also in terms of what people have told Press Gazette in the past, it's just the idea of authenticity, authenticity in journalism, finding audiences where they are. One of the things that comes up in this report and also what we've been told is the idea of reaching audiences um, directly, creating a relationship with them through newsletters and other things like that to connect with audiences. But I think one of the things that, at least a bit this the reports and perhaps reading some of the predictions can seem a bit gloomy, but I think one of the positive things that you can take away from this, which is what Stephen Dunbar-Johnson of the New York Times told us, which was the idea that good journalism is good business. So, you know, that's one way that hopefully newsrooms will be engaging audiences this year and helping them to stick with the news. But there were other things that, that Nick also talked about, the idea that publishers will be experimenting with different kinds of news. It wasn't so positive about solutions journalism, but different formats, explainers, different ways of re-engaging audiences. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It just sounds like business as usual isn't going to be good enough this year. We need to think about what we're doing, keep giving people the same old thing because the news avoidance piece shows that a lot of people are switching off from that. Yeah, interesting year ahead. And hopefully, yeah, people are going to feel a little more, a little better informed, face it, based on our chats with Nick and the other research we're doing. Thanks for that, Aisha. So you've been listening to The Future of Media Explained with me, Press Gazette Editor, Dwight Ponsford. I've had our data journalist, Aisha Majid on, and we were expertly produced as always by adrian bradley please check out pressgazette.co.uk for a lot more insight on the themes we've discussed today and everything else related to the future of media thanks for listening the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.